0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we're continuing our series, which we've entitled Journey. So if we're in the book of Mark, if you'd just like to turn with me to Mark, we're still in the first chapter, actually. We're three weeks into this and still in the first chapter. We're actually going to, uh, it's a huge tract we're looking at this morning, from chapter 1, verse 21, to chapter 2, verse 17. We're not going to read all of that, but just to quickly summarize some of it for you, Um, it starts out with Jesus healing this man with an evil spirit. He drives out this demon very dramatic encounter. Then he goes on to heal many other people. Uh, the next person he heals is Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Um, and then he heals a man with leprosy. And we're going to start reading there at uh, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, the people still came to him from everywhere. And chapter 2 and verse 1 says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's uh, let's come before God in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these very familiar stories to many of us. And, uh, Father, we pray that uh, through these accounts you would, you would speak to us, that you would shape us, that you would make us more like Jesus in the way that we love people, the way that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and the way we love a lost world which desperately needs Christ. Father, help us to love that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 16 chapters, Mark is going to uh, follow Jesus' uh, long three-year journey through Jerusalem, through, through Israel, all the way from the beginning of his journey in Capernaum, all the way to the final stretch of his journey into the holy city, into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, Gary talked about, in week one, he talked about uh, being prepared for the journey. Last week, he talked about being called to the journey. And this week, the journey finally begins. Um, and, uh, and so I get that this uh, passage is all about the, the beginning of that, uh, of that journey. And, uh, you know, me personally, I like going on long journeys. I, I enjoy it. Um, I guess it's that sense of adventure, you know, it's that sense of anticipation of the new things I'm going to see, the, the new the new people I'm going to meet, the new experiences I'm going to have along the way. I love all of that. The only thing I don't like about going on long journeys is, um, is sometimes they involve flying. And and I actually don't mind flying, but what I mean is is that uh, all the stuff you have to go through before you can get on the plane and and then everything you have to do when you disembark at the other end if it's an international uh, flight. Um, So first of all, you have to produce your ID, right? And they shine that little ultraviolet light on it to make sure that it's not a fake. And they look at it, and they look at you, and they look at it, and they look back at you. And at this point, I'm kind of arguing with them in my head. Because I've got visions of me being dragged away, saying, no, it is me, it is me. And and, and then they... Then they pass, you know, wave me on through, and, and so then I've got to take off my shoes, and, and so some of you know the routine, right? You take off your shoes, you take off your belt, you empty your pockets out, um, you, you uh, get your laptop out, and you shove it all through, along with your baggage, through the x-ray machine. Then, then you have to walk through the, the metal detector, or nowadays it's actually one of those full-body scanners, and uh, if you're you, and you're not me, then this is your cue to wander off and find your boarding gate. Uh, If you're me, uh, this is when you get pulled aside for a random search. (laughs) And so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah so if you've never had one of these random searches before um basically what they do is they get you to unpack all of your stuff out of your, your baggage and, and and then they pack you down and then they swipe your clothes and your baggage with with this little swab thing and they stick it in this machine to see if there's any residue of explosives or drugs or whatever and and even though i haven't done anything at this point you know uh, they're being so thorough i'm thinking i'm gonna get caught for something right i mean this is Maybe that exam I cheated on when I was 12 or whatever. Right? This is a guilty conscience, right? I think it, is a little, it does help a little bit being, being married. Uh, I think if you're a single guy and you look like me, you're going to get pulled over a lot more often. Um, my poor brother... So, so, he was, uh, yeah. so he was visiting us uh, a few years ago, and he missed one of his connecting flights. So he got rerouted uh, to set through several different airports. And by the time he got to us in Austin, we went to pick him up. It was around midnight. He had been pulled over for three separate random searches. And by the third one, he was asking the guy, he was like, um, just, just out of interest, what does random actually mean around here? Uh, and, and so, so, yeah, it, it, it does... It does help being being married. Being married to a Caucasian woman, even better. I just point to Julia and go, hey, I'm with her. And they just, just wave me on through. <laughs> hey, racial profiling, is okay if it keeps us safe, yeah? Maybe. I don't know. So, so, so yeah, um, getting on the plane can be a hassle. But then what you have to do when you get off the plane at the other end when, when you're in a foreign country, man, that can be even worse. I'll come back to that in a minute. But, but yes, yeah, so Jesus is about to embark on this long three-year journey. And I, and I get that th- these, um, these chapters here are about the very beginning of that journey. But you know, whenever you start a journey, whenever you head out on a journey, it's always good to know where you're heading. But it's good to know where you're going, to have a destination in mind. Otherwise, you might end up wandering around in circles, aimlessly, meandering, wandering without a point. And I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. I think Jesus had a destination in mind. And so up front this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that destination, but because I think that will shed some light on why Jesus begins where he begins. Why does Jesus begin here? And why does he begin like this? That's the question I want to ask, first of all, this morning. Why does Jesus begin here, and why does he begin like this? So, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. That's his final destination. Now, we, we've said before, right, that, that Jerusalem was not so much a city with a temple as much as it was a temple with a small city around it. Some people feel that way about Temple it is a city? Is it a city with a hospital or a hospital with a city around it, right? 25% of Jerusalem was the temple. Can you imagine? Over a quarter of the city was the temple complex. It was a massive complex. And this temple complex was, was um, in the Jewish mind, uh, the center of their nation. No, no more than that. It was the center of the world. It was the center of the very universe itself. Now, of course, that wasn't a geographical claim. I can't, I can't pull out a map for you and, and, and show you the coordinates. It's, it's, not, it's not about pulling out a star chart and look, there's our galaxy. That's a theological statement. The city of Jerusalem was the holy city. And it was, it was holy because it had the holy temple. And the temple was holy because it contained in it this inner sanctum, this place called the Holy of Holies. And this is where, in years past, God had made his presence in a special way with Israel. This is where heaven touched earth. And, of course, wherever heaven touches earth, that's the center of the universe, in case you didn't know. That's the center of their world, of the nation. Center of the universe. So so keep that in mind. But also, as well as thinking of it as the center of the universe, I want you to think of the temple as as itself a model of the universe. But think of the temple as a kind of a model in miniature, in microcosm, a model of the universe, a model of the world. Um, and so on the very outer rim of the universe, on the outer rim of this uh, of this model, um, was the Gentile, in the outer rim of the temple was the Gentile courts. Now, uh, this is a place, in other words, where you and I, unless of course you have a, a Jewish heritage, but uh, otherwise the rest of us, As Gentiles, we could come here. There was a place for us at the temple for you and I to come and worship God in the temple. We couldn't go any further, mind you. You and I could could come as far as here, but we couldn't go beyond here because beyond here, beyond the Gentile court, was the court of the women. Uh, Actually, court of the women, that's a little bit of a misleading name because it didn't really matter whether you were a man or a woman, male or female. Actually, it didn't matter whether you were clean or unclean, uh, ceremonially, ritually speaking. You could come here. As long as you were Jewish. So there was actually, just off of this court, there was a place for those people with leprosy. Ceremonially unclean, but they could come here. If you were a paralytic, you were ritually considered ritually unclean, but you could come here. Um, All of those people I just mentioned could come as far as here, but none of them could go beyond here. Because beyond here was the court of the Israelites. And in order to enter into the court of the Israelites, you had to be a full-blooded, whole-bodied, circumcised Jewish male. And and, and uh, if you weren't that, then you couldn't go in. It's interesting that they call it the court of Israel or the court of the Israelites. It, it, it's almost as if to say that, that everyone else is just Israel by proxy. Everyone else is just God's people, God's covenant people by proxy via these, these people. And then, and then, of course, beyond there was the priestly court, and beyond the priestly court was the holy of holies. Now, not any old priest could go in there. Uh, the, the high priest, and only the high priest, and only once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies after making the appropriate sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So there were these many different layers, right, of, of which you had to pass through in Israel society. And with each successive layer that you passed through, the number of people who had the right credentials to pass through to the next layer shrank and shrank until there was only one. It's a model of the universe with God at the center and everything and everyone else revolving around him at varying distances from him. Um, I I think I I, I said earlier that that, uh, worse than getting on the plane is actually what you have to do when you get off the plane at the other end if you're traveling on a foreign passport. You're going into a country, in other words, where you don't have a passport from that country. That can be a hassle. I remember a few years ago, I'd gone back to London to do my uh, grandmother's funeral. And so we were we're coming back, uh, and we were coming back via Dallas. And so um, we we get to passport control, and this guy starts to ask us the usual list of of questions. And and by the way, if you've you've never done this before, this, this can be a strange experience because I think we're so... We're so used to being able to go wherever we want to go, do whatever we want to do, unquestioned, unhindered, to be able to pass freely. So to suddenly have someone asking you, where are you from? What are you doing here? What do you do over there? How long will you be staying here? Where will you be staying? Well, how do I know this is you? What right do you have to be here? Right? This is, this is kind of a, it's a strange experience. If you've never done it before, you may not actually know what's going on at first. I remember a friend of ours came to visit us in... When we were in London, they came to visit us, and they, so they're coming through uh, passport control in Heathrow Airport, and they, they'd never done this before. And so the guy at passport control in Heathrow starts to ask him the usual questions, who are you, where are you from, what do you do over there, uh, how long will you be staying, and, and, and all of that. And uh, our friend, she thinks that uh, this guy's just being chatty, like he's just being, like he's just being friendly. And so she starts asking him questions: "And, and what do you do? And where, where, where do you live?" And, and I, I guess the passport guy kind of thought it was funny too, and so he he started playing along a bit. And, it, and in his thick East London accent, he goes, "Oh, I I work for the CIA, love." Um, and at, at this point, her husband's jumping in and going, "No, no, no! Just just answer the man's questions. This is this is an interview." <laughs> But like I say, you know, we're so used to being able to go wherever we want to go, unhindered, unquestioned. You know, we're free to pass wherever. So, you know, to be, to be, asked, this, uh, to, to be asked this kind of things, it, we may not, if we've never done it before, know what's going on. Um, oh, yeah, so my wife and I are back in Dallas, right? We're coming through the passport control in, in Dallas. And, and, and the guy's asking his usual list of questions. And then he, he, he asked me a he, he, question I wasn't expecting. He said, and so where's your brown form? I'm thinking, uh-oh, I don't know anything about a brown form. I don't have one. And, uh, and, and so I just said, hey, uh, what brown form? And he goes, this is an R1 visa, it was a religious worker visa. That's what we were on at the time. And he goes, this is an R1 visa. And if you want to use this, you have to have a brown form to go with it. Well, otherwise, you can't use it. And I, I said, well, look, you know, we've, we've used this exact same visa on numerous occasions. We've just never been asked for a brown form, so I don't know anything about a brown form. And that is when he lost it. He was like, don't tell me how to do my job. I can deport you. I can get you packed on a plane right now and send you back to London where you came from. Now, when you just got off a long-haul flight, the last thing you want to hear is, we're going to stick you back on a plane. <laughs> right? and, and, and then we're thinking, oh, no, well, our friends, our ministry, how are we going to get back to TBC? This this guy's going to keep us from our church. Some of you might have liked that, but, you know, you can't have everything. So, so he's a guy who's going to keep, now, now what do we do, right? And, and so he starts ratcheting the language up. He goes all legal on us. He, say, he says, you are under a legal possession of this visa. And so I, I think, I don't know what to say here. So I just said, look, you know, we're going to have to take this up with the American embassy in London because they were the issuing authority. They're the guys who gave us this visa without the brown form. And for whatever reason, he decided to stamp our passports And sent us on our way. Um, So so I did actually call the uh, American Embassy in London. I said, hey, how come you didn't give me a brown form? And and they said, what brown form? Right? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So so I I guess this guy, you know, that's his version of fun, right? You have to keep yourself entertained. And and we were his entertainment for the day. But so so you get get through passport control and then you you get to, to customs and you've got your bags with you and your customs form, and sometimes they've, they've got those big, I don't know if you've seen this before, they've got those huge dogs, those big sniffer dogs, right, and, and they will, if, 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 if just in case you forgot to list some illegal substance on your customs form, right, then, then they'll sniff it out in your baggage, right, so, so if you get past there, then you breathe a sigh of relief, uh, you're a free man, and, and you just feel like, yes, I just got away with something, and, and, and like I said, I don't know what it is we got away with, but that's how it feels, right, it feels like you just got away with something or or other. Now, what, I, what I've been describing, of course, is a journey to London or a journey to Dallas or, or wherever. What we're talking about this morning is a journey to the center of the universe. And so there were many, many layers of, of security checks and ID checks and random searches and passport control and, and uh, customs and all of, all of that. And, and these creden- this credentialing didn't start at the gates of the temple. And it didn't start further back at the, the gates of the city of Jerusalem. But it started way back in Galilee, in Capernaum and right at the beginning of this journey and it goes on all the way through this journey that Jesus is going to go on all the way through Israel. Well. it carries on we're going to see this over and over again and if you didn't have the right paperwork if you didn't have the right passport if you didn't have the, uh, the, the couldn't answer the right questions in the right way then you didn't get to pass through to the next layer now keep all that in mind Okay, keep all that in mind as we look at, the, at the, how Jesus begins his journey at the very first person that Jesus heals you know the first person Jesus heals is? It's a, it's a, the first. Well, we didn't read this bit, but it's the man with this demon, right? And he, he comes to him and, and, and in, in the synagogue, and Jesus drives out this demon from him. It's a very dramatic scene, and we may have all sorts of questions about it, but I've just got one question for you this morning about that particular incident. Could this man with this demon, an unclean spirit, could he enter into the court of the Israelites? Just, just think about that for a moment. Could he... Okay, and then the next person that he heals, or that we're told any details about, is Simon Peter's uh, mother in law. Uh, this is a woman. Could this woman enter into the court? As a woman, could he enter into the court of the Israelites? Again, just just hold on to that thought for a moment. Then the next person he heals is a man with leprosy. Could a man with leprosy, ceremonially, ritually unclean, enter the court of the Israelites? Then the next person he heals, we read about this as well, is the paralytic, again, ritually unclean. Could he enter into the court of the Israelites? Okay, and then finally... uh, Jesus calls a tax collector. Could this tax collector, who he's called to come and be one of his disciples, could he enter into the court of the Israelites? Let me give you a clue here uh, about Matthew the tax collector and his tax collecting buddies. Um, Jesus calls, Jesus drives out right at the beginning here this, this, this demon from this, this man. But then he calls a demon to come and follow him as one of his disciples. Okay. That, that's how they thought about the irs back then that this look these guys were so despised because they were seen as traitors to their nation that i don't think they would have shown their face around the temple much at all let alone the court of the israelites the answer as you already know to all of these people is no 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 and no none of these people could enter into the court of the israelites do you see what mark is doing do, do you see what the author mark is doing right so so um This is not just a random list of stuff that Jesus did. Okay, Uh, this is is just a side note. I want to make a side note. I've made it before, but it's really important, so it's worth repeating. Sometimes we can read Mark or Matthew or Luke or John, any of the Gospels, as if it was just this kind of random list of stuff Jesus did presented in some sort of chronological order. You know, like like he's just saying it as it comes to him. Oh, and then Jesus did this, and then he did that, and then he did this other thing over here, and then he did this other interesting thing over there, and then right after that I think he did this, and then he did that, and then the, the end. But we need to read the Gospels much more carefully than that because the authors of the Gospels, including Mark, have been much more careful under the authority of God, under the inspiration of the Spirit, much more careful in the way they have constructed their Gospel. Look, uh, we're told that crowds came to Jesus. But Mark has chosen to talk about these specific individuals. He's chosen these individuals who he wants to hold up in front of us. Why is that? Uh, mark has said that there are many people who were healed by him but he has chosen to focus on these few why has he chosen these few you see mark has chosen these particular accounts these incidents and strung them together on purpose to make a point and if we don't learn to read the gospels like this we're going to often miss the the, the, the inspired meanings of these texts some of the inspired meanings so so um what Mark is saying here is this. He's saying, look where Jesus begins his journey. He begins on the margins. He begins with the marginalized. He begins with those on the fringes of Jewish society. He begins with the uncredentialed. And look what he's doing for them. He's bringing them in from the cold. He brings them from, from the margins to the center. He brings them from the outside in. Look what he is doing. What an amazing start to this ministry, to this journey. And of course, we look at that and, and, and it's wonderful when you notice that for the first time, you realize, wow, look what, look what he's doing. These are all these people, he's making them whole. These people can go, uh, many of them can go now into the court of the Israelites. This is wonderful. Of course, not everyone at the time thought so because there were many groups, several groups, in fact. The Pharisees were one, the Sadducees were another, and there were, the, the Essenes were another. There were several groups in that society who believed Uh, that it it was their job to police all this and and so they would they were the ones looking at your your paperwork and then the Pharisees would say "Uh, you haven't got the right paperwork and the and the teachers of the law would, would say no you're in illegal possession of this visa of this passport how did you get this and and the Sadducees were the ones shining their ultraviolet light on there and saying no no this isn't you you don't get to pass through to this next lair you don't get to step into the court of the Israelites you don't get to do that so so when they show up, right, to, and as they do in, the, in these passages, when they show up to see what Jesus is up to, they've come to do a job. Right? They've come to do a job, and what they discover is Jesus is handing out passports and visas all over the place. Sorry if my uh, analogy just took over the sermon a little bit there, but that, that, sometimes that happens. But But that's what, essentially, they find Jesus handing out these passports and visas all over the place to all these different people. Now, that's disturbing enough for a group of people like the Pharisees or the teachers of the law who believed that they were the one that had the right credentials and it was their job to go around questioning everyone else's credentials and, and they had become very adept at keeping people out. They, they neither had the ability nor the desire nor the inclination to bring people in, to invite people in, but they'd become experts at keeping people out. They, they were good at that. And so to show up and find Jesus handing out these passports and visas all over the place, this was disturbing as, enough as it was. But nothing quite as disturbing, I think, as this uh, account of the healing of the paralytic. This is probably the most disturbing moment in the Gospel of Mark so far, and there have been a few already. Um, So it's it's quite a well-known story, isn't it? We we know about this because, as usual, Jesus is teaching in in someone's home, and now the home is filled with people. I mean, they're they're wall-to-wall, standing room only. And, And now these people are spilling out of the door, and now they're spilling out onto the street, and now the house is surrounded, and along come these four men carrying their friend, their paralytic, on on the mat and uh, they, they come up to the house and they stop in their tracks because they realize there's this crowd there. how are we going to get to jesus now but they know they know that their friend more than anything else in the world their friend needs to get to jesus more than anything else and and so there nothing's going to stop these guys so they come up with a plan jesus is inside the house and, and suddenly as he's teaching these Bits of dirt start falling in from the ceiling. And suddenly there's this hole there. And you can see the bright blue sky where the roof once was. And, and, and then these four eager, earnest faces of these friends appear in that hole. And then they disappear. And then there's this shadow. And, and then you can see this map being lowered. And on the mat is this paralytic. And he's laid at Jesus' feet. And seeing their faith, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus says to this man, He says, Son, Son. Your sins are forgiven. And everyone just went, <gasps> I mean, they just gasped. I mean, this just, and the room fell silent. You, you see, because there, there is a world of difference. I mean, this is a very different thing that happens here than, than happened just previously. Right Before he heals a paralytic, the, the, the other part we read was Jesus healed. Right before that, he heals a man with leprosy. And what he does there is after healing this man, the man comes, falls on his knees, begs Jesus, please heal me, Jesus says yes, and he heals him. And he sends the man, he says to the man, don't tell anyone about this, but I want you to go up to the temple, present yourself to the priest, and make your sacrifice for your cleansing. So you go to the temple, talk to the priest, You make your sacrifice. Temple, priest and sacrifice. Got that? Temple, priest and sacrifice. What Jesus does here with this man is he essentially says, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. But wait, forgiveness, and maybe we don't think of it this way, but they did. Forgiveness was a temple activity, and it was something that God did, and something that God could only do, and he did it at the temple. So what you would do is, is you would go up to the temple, and you would bring your sacrifice, and you would talk to the a priest, and the priest would make a sacrifice for you, and then God would forgive you at the temple. It was a temple activity, temple, priest, and sacrifice. And essentially what, what Jesus is doing here is he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. He's, he's essentially saying, well, you don't need the temple and the priest, and the sacrifice. What you need is me, and I'm right here, and I'm telling you, son, your sins are forgiven. And this is, this is when the whole room goes, <gasps> and I just gasp, and, and, and the room falls silent. And the only sound you could hear in that silence was this, was the sound of the universe shifting. The sound of the center of the universe shifting from the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, all the way to, well, wherever Jesus was standing in Galilee, in Capernaum at that time. That's, land, right there you see there is a heaven and earth difference between the guy who can hand out passports and visas to people so they could travel to the center of the universe and and the guy who says well actually i am the center of the universe you know it always amazes me when people say well i, I don't see where jesus ever claims to be god are you kidding what do you think he's doing here all the way through. But, so there's a heaven and earth difference between the guy who says, here's a pass to travel to the Holy of Holies, or at least get near to the Holy of Holies, and the guy who says, no, you don't need to travel that far because I am the Holy of Holies. And so Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees were thinking in their hearts, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? If we really want to hear... what what the Pharisees were hearing, um, think of it this way, and I've I've used this illustration maybe a couple of years ago now. Um, It would be like me going back to Britain and standing up and saying, um, you know that stuff about number 10 Downing Street? You know the Queen? You know Parliament? Forget about Parliament and the House of Lords. Forget about... uh, constitutional evolution, mostly peaceful, virtually uninterrupted since 1066, except for that little Oliver Cromwell misunderstanding. Uh, Forget about all that stuff, right? Because you think that's what it means to be British. But from now on, I am the fulfillment of the British Constitution. I am the true Brit. And now to be British is to follow me. I'm reconstituting this nation around me. And they would look at me and go, huh? Right? They'd look at me sideways. Let's bring it closer to home. It would be like next week, Gary getting up in this pulpit Sunday and and him saying, look, forget about the White House. Forget about Congress. Forget about the Senate. Forget about the Supreme Court. Uh, Forget about the Constitution. I am the fulfillment of the Constitution. I am the true American. And now to be American is to follow me. I'm reconstituting this nation around me. And we would look at him sideways and we go, huh? And then we say, just stay there, just stay there. Uh, the men in white coats will be along soon, right? Take, they've got a nice padded selfie, right? This is how we would look, this is how we would take that. So before we go hating on the Pharisees saying, man, those guys are so dumb. I would never have been so hard-hearted or so spiritually blind. Those guys were stupid. I'd never be this. So before we say that kind of stuff, let's make sure we're hearing what they were hearing. Right? I can see precisely why it would be near impossible. It would be near impossible for a Pharisee to agree to something like this. Think about what they'd be saying if if one of these Pharisees were to agree that, that, yes, Jesus is now the center of our nation. No, the center of the universe. Imagine what they'd be saying about everything else. Oh, well, actually, we don't have to imagine because we've got a Pharisee who spells it out for us. And here is what he says. Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. You see, Paul had been saying, Look, These are the things, my race, my nation, my nationality, my following of the law, my political leanings as a Pharisee instead of those Sadducees or those weirdo Essenes and other groups. all, All of these things, this is how I knew that I was justified before God. This was the badge of my covenant membership. This is how I knew I was marked out as one of God's covenant people. I had the credentials to go all the way or very close to the center of the universe. I had all the right credentials. And then the center shifted. And when the center shifted, this is what Paul ends up saying about that. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, some some years ago the, the British missionaries used to in, take the gospel all over the world, right? All to, to the ends of the earth, very distant nations. And some of these British missionaries they, they brought with them the gospel, but they many of them, not all of them, but many of them, too many of them, brought with them the gospel, but they also brought with them their flag. And they brought with them their politics. And they brought with them their, their Western cultural baggage. Some of it had have never been touched or sifted through the gospel at all. But they brought all this other stuff with them and they said, well, you know, if you really want to be counted as one of God's people, if you want to be justified, if you really, this is, these are the marks, these are the signs. you've got to buy into all of this other stuff. And all of this other stuff ended up being these terrible barriers, these stumbling blocks for so many to get to Jesus. They put up these barrier after barrier for people they couldn't get through, so many of them couldn't get through this stuff to get to Jesus himself. But this is what happens when when those British missionaries couldn't say of their Britishness what Paul was only too glad to say about his Jewishness. This is what happens when we are unwilling to say about our own national heritage, what, whether it be British or American or whatever, what Paul was gladly saying, proudly saying in the best sense of that word, boastfully saying in the best sense, he, uh, what he was glad to say about his own Jewishness. If we can't say the same thing that Paul said about about our own political leanings, whether it be left or right, what Paul was gladly saying about his political leanings as a Pharisee instead of a Sadducee or those other odd groups, he... If we can't say the same thing that Paul says, then we've got problems. You know, it's been one of my privileges over the years to, to talk to people who had turned their back on the church. They, 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 they were done with it, and they never thought they'd be back. But now they're back. And, and it's been my privilege to talk to some other people who have never been interested in the church at all. Not even vaguely, I don't, don't want to know about Jesus and God and, and the church and all of that. But now they find themselves irresistibly drawn to Jesus and they find themselves following after God and, and they're serious Jesus follows. and I'm asking them, well, what happened? What's the, what, what changed? What's the difference between then and now? And the answer is always the same. I mean, it's become predictable. I've heard it over and over again. And here's what they say, something to this effect. They say, well, you see, before I thought I had to buy into all this other stuff, all this other crud, all this other garbage, as Paul calls it. Actually, Paul doesn't call it that. He, he uses a little stronger language here. It's more like a cuss word there in the, in the Greek. I'm not going to cuss for you this morning, but that's what he's saying. Okay, get, get, you can fill in the blank. So he's saying, he's, he's saying and so we, these guys are saying, I thought I had to buy into all this other crud, all this other garbage, but then I realized I don't have to. And they're following after Jesus. They're very serious followers of Jesus. And it's been beautiful to watch. I'm going to wrap it up here, but you know, one of the uh, one of the things I said at the beginning was that the final stretch of Jesus' journey was into Jerusalem. That's not actually true, um, not if we want to be accurate. Uh, there was a man, Simon of Cyrene. He's known to us as Simon of Cyrene. Uh, he was on a very long journey. Speaking of long journeys, he had come all the way from North Africa, right? And he, he's on his way from North Africa on his long journey, and he's going to Jerusalem. That's his final destination. And so Simon of Cyrene is on this final stretch of his journey, and he's going into the city, and on his way into this holy city, he sees Jesus on his way out. And Jesus is on his way out of the city, carrying his cross. He's being led out of the city to be crucified. You see, this final stretch of Jesus' journey is not into the city. It is out of the city. You see, Jesus' journey ends where it began. It it ends with the marginalized, with those on the fringes, with the fringes of Jewish society. On the outside, crucified, hanging from a cross outside the city gates, shut out of the holy city. And the Pharisees inside the city, and the teachers of the law inside the city, and the Sadducees inside the city, they, they could sleep well that night because uh, they had done their job. And it was a job well done. They had determined that this man was not credentialed. He was uncredentialed. Actually, they determined that a long time ago, right? At the beginning of this journey, as we've been looking at this morning, they decided that they just needed to convince everyone else. And now they had been successful. This man was uncredentialed, and now they could put this whole Jesus thing to rest. And they warmed themselves with the comforting thought that even if everyone else was confused, at least they knew where the center of the universe was. And thankfully, they knew exactly how to get there. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your undeserved kindness and love and mercy that you show to us. Thank you for the compassion that you show to the people on the margins, that you began your journey this way, that you ended your journey this way, to bring people like us, lost and far away from the margins to the center, from the outside to the inside, to bring us in from the cold. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us to the Holy of Holies. Jesus, we want to repent of the times when we have been more like those Pharisees checking people's passports and visas and questioning other people's credentials. Father, we we want to repent of the times when we have put up barriers and made it about so many other things and put up stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters. Father, we repent of that. And we ask that we would be more like those friends who know that more than anything and anyone else People need Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would be like those friends who stopped at nothing and didn't allow anything to get in the way of bringing our friends to Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be be like that. So Father, we, we thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.